I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. And on this edition, we're going to be rounding up the latest Arsenal-related transfer rumours. We're going to be talking Mikhailo Mudrik, Joao Felix. We're going to be talking Ferran Torres. And we're going to be talking about the proposal uh, to build an Arsene Wenger statue uh, outside the Emirates Stadium as soon as 2023. We'll be getting into all of that today. And we'll be taking your thoughts and questions, as always, from the live chat. How are we all doing? How are we feeling? It's kind of that weird period in between Christmas and the new year where you don't really know what day it is. You lose track of the days. I certainly have anyway. Um, you're trying to kind of keep your work going and you're trying to keep busy and you're trying to keep some form of routine, but it's really, really difficult at this stage. And um, yeah, it's, it's a fun time of year, but it's um, it, it, it drives you a little bit mad as well. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I find it really hard to kind of stay on routine and to uh, obviously keep track of the days, as I say, which is, um, yeah, never great uh, when you've got work and you've got bookings and you're trying to remember shit. Is it Tuesday today? Is it Wednesday today? It's Wednesday today. It took me uh, a little bit of time when I woke up this morning to actually realize that. Uh, let's say a few hellos uh, to some of you in the chat box. Big hello to Des, to Daniel, to Delisu, to Steve, to Matt, uh, to Raphael, to V-Dub, to John. Uh, to Arsenal Nexus, to Seb, to uh, Craig, to James Bond, to Graham, uh, to Wandering Minstrel, and of course, Clock and uh, Seb as well. I think I already said that one, sorry. And to everybody else, because if I sit here going through all the names, we, we will do nothing else. So uh, yeah, we'll we'll move on from that. Uh, Graham says, morning, Harry. How was the darts? Do you know what? The darts is great fun. I'm not a massive darts fan. Like I watch the World Championships. I, I sort of dip in and out of it as the tournament goes on. I went last year for the first time to the darts uh, at Alexandra Palace and I really, really enjoyed it. But it is one of those things that you need to go to ready to have a few drinks, ready to have a few laughs. You don't take it too seriously. It's not the type of sporting event that you go to and you're like, well, you know, I've got to really focus on this. It is a bit of a laugh. It is it is um, in good spirit. And this is what I like about it, right? So you go there and you go there looking to kind of just enjoy yourself. And that's exactly what everybody does. There's not even a hint of trouble. Um, you know, the searches going in are really, really thorough. I mean, to the point where not only did I have to empty my pockets, there was a guy going through my wallet. Uh, there was somebody with me who had a pack of tobacco uh, who smokes and, and the bouncer literally opened up the pack of tobacco. There was a couple of pre-rolled cigarettes in there and they put them to their noses to smell them and make sure that it was just tobacco and nothing more than that. So all of that is really thorough and all of that is is really well done. And I think that contributes to there being no trouble, basically. People go in fancy dress. It's a good laugh. It's good fun. Um, but for me, it's one of those things that I need to uh, I need to have a few drinks for. And I did. So I am feeling a little bit worse for wear today, but it's the price you pay. Uh, so here we are. Anyway, we're back on the podcast. We're live and we're doing it. So uh, yeah, we uh, we survived. <laughs> um, what else have we got in the chat? Big hello to uh, Kulin, uh, to uh, Norman as well, who's watching us from Jamaica. Uh, good to see so many of you in the live chat box as well. Just quickly before we dive into the actual content of today's show, um, I just wanted to quickly address something. So yesterday, after we finished the show, I saw a few comments uh, saying, well, we better enjoy the show while it lasts on YouTube uh, because it, it won't be here for much longer. I think some people have got their wires crossed. The podcast, the show is not going anywhere. You're still going to get all of the content that you get here on YouTube. You're still going to get all of the content that you get on whatever podcast platform it is that you listen from. Signing up to another slice uh, and joining our membership scheme will give you access to additional content. It doesn't replace the content that we already have. So I just wanted to clear that up because I had a few messages yesterday uh, from people saying, you know, what does this mean? How is it going to look moving forward? Everything you get now, you're still going to get it. The key here and the point here is that we want to move from YouTube memberships to memberships on a different platform. That is all. Uh, you'll get additional content over there, uh, post every single match. The first bit went the other day 
uh, online. It was my player ratings following the game uh, against West Ham United. I recorded that as soon as I got in. Uh, so you will get access to additional stuff. It isn't replacing what we currently have. Um, so, yeah, so don't panic because this is not going anywhere. Anyway, OK, look, I've been blabbing on for about five minutes and we still haven't dived into the content of today's show. So I better get to that and I better get to it swiftly. Let's talk about Mikhailo Mudrik. Now, we heard just the other day that Arsenal had submitted an offer for Mikhailo Mudrik uh, to Shakhtar Donetsk. And I'll read you exactly what was posted, exactly what was shared. Uh, Adam Crafton of The Athletic uh, said, Arsenal's opening offer for Shakhtar's Mudrik is €40 million euros plus €25 uh, million euros in add-ons. So €65 million euros in total. Shakhtar's public stance is that they want 100 million euros. If Arsenal get it closer to 85 to 90, there may be a deal or they can play the longer game. Uh, some of the English media are picking this up as a bid that is worth around about 55 million pounds in total, converting that, of course, from euros. Um, and Fabrizio Romano has confirmed earlier today that negotiations continue between the two clubs over uh, the potential signing of Mikhailo Mudrik. So, Look, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to bring you lots of news around this or, or bring you any updates because I don't have any. Uh, I'm going by the information that you guys have. I'm going by uh, the reports coming out from some really credible journalists over the last few days. But what I can do is I can give you an opinion. And I've got a pretty strong opinion on this. I like Mikhailo Mudrik, OK? What I've seen of him is, is really positive. I like what he would bring to the team. I like the idea of scouring the continent and finding someone who isn't necessarily there yet, but has the potential to develop and evolve into a really top player. That's clearly what Arsenal have looked to do. They've looked to bring players in just before they boom, or they've looked to bring in players in the case of Martin Odegaard, for example, who maybe went somewhere else with a big reputation as a wonder kid. It didn't really work out and they've seen the talent, they've seen the potential, and they've been able to kind of just guide him through a difficult period and get him to where really he should be at this stage in his career. Mikhailo Mudrik falls into the first category. He's somebody that, you know, hasn't really exploded yet on the European scene. He's had a few good performances in the Champions League. He's been very, very good for Shakhtar domestically. But again, you know, you've got to question the standard of the division and the standard of the league. That's not me being disrespectful. It's me being realistic and honest about my opinion on him. Where I'm struggling a little bit is is the price. You know, I am really, really struggling with the price on this. You know, I've said before that Arsenal have been very, very reluctant under this current regime and under this current management structure to go north of £50 million for anybody. You know, £50 million feels about the limit that the club are willing to go to. How highly must they rate Mikhailo Mudrik to want to break that, to want to go beyond that? The answer is very highly. The problem I have with this all now is that this could get out of hand and this could get stupid and this could get silly. We need a winger. We need a forward. There's no question about that in my mind whatsoever, but there are other positions as well that need addressing. And the one for me that really needs addressing outside of the forward positions is in the centre of midfield. We need another player there. We need a bit of backup there. Have Arsenal over the last you know, few weeks during the World Cup, during the sort of uh, mid-pre-season training camp of Arsenal come to the decision that actually we're in with a great shout of achieving unbelievable things this season. So you know what, let's double down and let's really invest and let's really try and take this project to the next level quicker. Was this part of the original plan? It's really difficult to say. It's really difficult to know. We know that Arsenal considered Mudrik in the summer. We know that that was something that they looked at doing right at the back end of the window. But following some injury problems in midfield, Arsenal decided to turn their attentions to Douglas Luiz of Aston Villa. And that deal obviously never materialised and never happened either. My issue here, as I say, is not with the player, is not with his potential, is not with his ability. It's with the price. And if, you know, people say, why do you care? It's not your money. You know, why are you bothered about what Arsenal have to pay to get this player in? Why is it even a discussion point for you? It's not about it being my money. I, You know, it isn't my money. I don't really care what they do with the money. My issue is, is that if spending that money prevents you from doing other business that needs doing and prevents you from strengthening in areas where it's just as important that we do so, 
then it's, you know, then it's having a knock-on effect on the pitch. And that's my worry and that's my concern here. £55 million in total is a very reasonable offer. If anything, it's a, an over-the-top offer for a player who has proven very little on the European stage, I would argue. You know, a handful of Champions League group games, fine, that's great. But outside of that, he's still got a long way to go. And so I find it really, really baffling that, you know, we're not really getting anywhere with this, despite what we've already tabled. Now, Shakhtar have publicly said throughout the duration uh, of this saga ongoing that they want 100 million euros in total for the player, that they believe he's worth that. And that if Jack Grealish is worth 100 million pounds, then he is definitely worth 100 million euros. We heard that, didn't we, from uh, some of the people very, very high up at Shakhtar Donetsk. And I get it. Shakhtar Donetsk financially are on their knees. Okay. All the troubles in Ukraine are obviously contributing to their financial struggles. They're not able to play games at home at the moment. There's so much ongoing. And the future of their club and a lot of the clubs there uh, are, of course, in doubt, which is unfortunate and, and sad. And, and the circumstances around that are horrible. And, and so, you know, I, I get why these clubs want to maximise any potential asset. When was the last time Shakhtar had a player that was so sought after? When was the last time Shakhtar had a player that a Premier League club was willing to go absolutely bonkers on? There have been players in the past, your Fernandinho's, um, you know, people like, uh, you know, th there's been a lot of Brazilians that have have gone over there and and sort of kicked off their European careers and then made a move elsewhere. But nobody's been in the region of 100 million euros. That's a price tag that's never been talked about. And I'm worried that this is going to get stupid and that Arsenal might end up walking away from this. And I don't want them to because I like the player and I want Arsenal to sign him. But, you know, there's something uncomfortable the way I look at it at sort of saying from my perspective, given I haven't seen so much of the player and, and nor has anybody really, if we're being completely honest, you know, you always get those people on social media that make out that they're an expert in every single field and all of that jazz. But really, are they? No. How many people have sat down and watched Shakhtar Donetsk in the last year in full and really studied Mikhailo Mudrik. We're basing our opinions on compilations. We're basing our opinions on a handful of games. And so if I was to sit here and say with conviction, yes, 100%, this guy is absolutely worth the 100 million euros that Shakhtar are demanding, I'd be lying to you. And I don't want to do that. I want to be honest. You know, I want to be honest about what I feel here. Obviously, I'd welcome him with open arms. Obviously, if he does join the club, I'll be delighted because I really do like the player, as I've stressed on a number of occasions. But the longer this goes on and the crazier the price gets, the more this concerns me and the more this worries me. £55 million seems fair to me. If we have to go an extra mile to do that, if we have to go slightly further and push it slightly more, and Arsenal and Arteta and Edu, who have earned people's trust, by the way, feel that that is worthwhile, then do it. No problem. But this cannot go crazy. We cannot afford for this to go into the 70s and at 75s and, and, and region like that. And it's not just about what we pay up front. People say, oh, but, you know, it'd be structured. Don't worry about it. We're going to do it, um, you know, on a structured payment and, and we won't have that much of a problem. We have seen over the years that deals like that are a problem, especially if they don't work out. You know, if Mikhailo Mudrik comes in and we pay... 70 million euros for him in total over the course of three seasons, but he's a hit. Nobody cares. Nobody would talk about it. Nobody would discuss it. But if it fails, then it becomes a big, big problem. And every transfer, as I've said to you guys for years and years and years, has an element of risk. And this one has more risk than some of the others that Arsenal could potentially do because of the fact that he's in many ways a bit of an unknown quantity. So I like him. I'd love to see us sign him. I'd love to see him join the club. I think he's an exciting player. Obviously, Arsenal are big on him to, to have made that initial offer in the first place. But Arsenal, at some point, have to be strong and Arsenal have to be, you know, be seen to not be pushovers and have to be seen to be difficult negotiators and, and uh, the type of club that, you know, will have a valuation in their minds for the player and won't exceed that. You know, if we have to exceed it, by a little bit to get it done, then that's on Arteta and Edu and everybody else and those calling the financial shots to make that decision. 
But we can't just be seen to go into every transfer window, get linked with someone. And then because we feel now that we've, we're that far down the line that we have to overspend and overpay, because that is exactly why Arsenal got themselves into that mess in the first place. Overpaying for bang average players, tying them down on not just big transfer deals that ended up costing us for years and years and years, but also on big contracts, on big salaries, on big wages. That also becomes a problem when you then try and move these players on in the event that those deals don't work out. So to kind of wrap up on this and to summarise on this, I adore Mikhailo Mudrik based on what I've seen, but admittedly, it's not all that much. Okay, what I've seen, he looks exciting. He looks promising. He looks like somebody that Arsenal could really work with. And he looks like somebody that would thrive under Mikel Arteta. But can I sit here and say to you on Wednesday, the 28th of December, with any conviction that I believe Mikhailo Mudrik is worth north of £55 million? Pounds? I can't. I can't. Sometimes to get what you want, you have to pay over the market value. I, I know that and I appreciate that and I accept that. But how far over that will you go? And that's what we're going to find out about Arsenal in these negotiations over, uh, of course, the next few weeks. This is not something that's going to happen bang tomorrow. You know, the transfer window opens, of course, on the 1st of January. But I expect this to rumble on throughout the month. I keep saying it to people. You know, if you're expecting our business to be done within the first week of the window, I think that's wishful thinking. I think it's always the case that these things drag on. You know, both sides want to get the best deal possible. And if that means sacrificing a week or two, then um, then fine. I think that's how the club will look at it. Let's take some of you guys' thoughts on this as well. Uh, let's see what you guys are saying. With regards to Mikhailo Mudrik, uh, Gavin says they wanted 80 mil and we offered half that plus 20 mil in add-ons, which is still 20 mil under what they want. And people are surprised it was rejected. Well, I think obviously publicly Shakhtar are going to say one thing and, and perhaps behind closed doors, they're going to do something different. They've said 100 mil, um, you know, publicly from the outset. But I think a lot of people feel and, and a lot of people close to this deal have reported that actually this is a deal that could be done for significantly less. So I don't blame Arsenal for going in with a first offer that's that's quite low by Shakhtar standards. Um, and you can call it low and, and you can say that and, and maybe that's fair given what we know about their demands. But the way I look at it is the first bid is is a fair one. And I don't and I think that sends a message back to Shakhtar that, you know, yes, we want this player and we will play ball to a degree, but only to a degree. And we won't have essentially the piss taken out of us um, so that you guys can have a massive payday. And so I think although you call it low balling and although people say, well, that's bad, you shouldn't do that. It pisses off the potential seller and then you have a big problem moving forward. Actually, for me, it's sending a message back to Shakhtar the next. It says, look, if you want to sell him, if you need the money, which we know you do, then meet us halfway. Be reasonable as well. You know, it's like I had a, a, a car up for sale a little while ago. OK, and, and I got a phone call from someone. He said, uh, you know, this is I've seen the price that you've put up. I, I don't think that I'll be able to pay that. I, I don't think I'm willing to pay that. Is there any chance that you meet me in the middle? And I said, look, mate, if. If you're going to come down, you're going to have a look at the car. If if you're happy with the car, if it's something that you really, really want and we can meet somewhere in the middle, then I'm absolutely fine with that. And, and let's do it. Let's make it happen. I think when people put prices out into the ether, they know that the chances of them achieving all of that money are very limited. And also, when you're talking about a club like Shakhtar, the next that are probably desperate for that money, that becomes even more true, I think, anyway. Uh, Popham says uh, 60 million euros is more than fair. I agree with that. Uh, Issa says we have to go for Felix and Mudrik before time is too late. And all these signings have to be the first week of January. Mate, that's wishful thinking. It's not going to happen that we get all our business done in the first week of January. It would be amazing. It would be nice. It would be brilliant. But it's just not the reality. Uh, Dave says, plus, when you look at when you spend a lot of money on a player, you put more pressure on them. Look at Pepe and Sancho at United. Yeah, for sure. But I think that comes down to the individual as well, Dave. Like, obviously, there is that bit of pressure that comes with a big transfer fee. There's no question about that. But I think some players can live with that and others can't. And I think Nicolas Pepe really, really struggled with it. Um, but again, for me, it wasn't necessarily that we spent that money on Nicolas Pepe. It was what it meant in terms of what we were able to spend on others that was the big problem over the coming years. Because, you know, we needed KSE to then sort of restructure things a little bit and try and find a way of 
raising the funds that Mikel Arteta needed to turn the squad around. And it just felt like a massive waste of money. Sancho is another one, absolutely. Again, I think it comes down to the individuals. Do Arsenal believe that Mikhailo Mudrik could take that weight on his shoulders? Maybe they do, because they still seem to be at the discussion table. Uh, Steve says, if it comes to it, Harry, we need to walk away. Uh, it sends a message for future signings. Uh, agreed. Uh, lots of uh, brilliant comments on there. I won't go through every single one of them because we um, will be stuck here. Uh, and, and we've got other bits and pieces to talk about as well. But V-Dub says, Harry, my biggest worry is Shakhtar string this out until the last minute looking for cash and then leave us no time to do other deals. Yeah, this is the thing. Arsenal need to, Arsenal need to have a plan B. You know, if they're obviously not willing, based on what we've seen so far, to match Shakhtar's Donetsk, Shakhtar's Donetsk, Shakhtar Donetsk's demands at the moment, then they need to be able to turn elsewhere and say, yep, OK, this is an alternative. Let's go and do this because we certainly do need to strengthen. And I was having this conversation with my dad in the car on the way back from West Ham the other night. And, you know, my dad is a, a big believer in the, the team spirit that Mikel Arteta has created and the the ethos around the club and the fact that there is a real togetherness there, you know, seeing Zinchenko, for example, warming up as a substitute and geeing up the crowd in front of the North Bank when we needed a goal. That kind of thing is is really, really important. And, and he puts a lot of where we are today down to that. And the worry is that if you go and bring in big name signings and they're not quite the right people, maybe not big name, but big money in, in Mudrik's case, then that can potentially disrupt that. But I think we've got such a huge opportunity to push on a massive opportunity to go on and achieve something this season that was beyond comprehension for many Arsenal fans and for the wider football world. So why not try and do it? Why not try and do it? Uh, Matt says, if I'm honest, I'd rather us overspend to make sure we get him at the start of the month than have a long drawn out negotiation that takes the whole of January. So I agree with that to a point. Um, I, I agree with that to a point. But where I slightly disagree is that if you're going to save £15 million, let's say, by drawing the negotiations out, and I'm talking about total £15 million, maybe some of that's up front, maybe some of that's in add-ons. If you're going to save that for the sake of a month, but that saving then allows you to go out and bring in a midfielder, then I'm actually OK with it. So it, it just depends on the circumstances there. But yeah, um, we'll, we'll see where we are um, come uh, come. Uh, the transfer window opening and, and see where we're going. Uh, Raphael says, uh, hi, Harry, agree with your perspectives on the possibility of overpaying for Mudrik. Hopefully Shakhtar are playing the posturing game and will eventually compromise and be aligned with Arsenal's view. Well, at the end of the day, the window isn't even open yet. So there is no, um, there is no, there is no need, there is no desperate need for Shakhtar right now to agree to a deal. Because the window isn't even open yet. So they could agree to a deal and, and you know, it can't be done until the 1st of January. So this is the time where they are going to try and push the boundaries. This is the time where they are going to try and get the maximum. Once the window opens and then the window starts closing down um, and, and you get in towards that closure date, then obviously there becomes more of an urgency and more of a need to get the deal done straight away um, and quickly, which means that you're negotiation position becomes weaker. But at this point, with the window not even open yet, then people will uh, 100% want to test the waters and see what they can get. Uh, Matt says, wait, you slightly disagree with me, Harry. How do I unsubscribe? <laughs> Go for it, mate. Go for it. No, I'm joking. I love you, Matt. Um, you're one of the you're one of the regulars and uh, one of the most loyal uh, viewers and listeners we've got. So, Matt, thank you so much. But um, yeah, I do slightly disagree with you. We can do about it. <laughs> uh, Steve says, Matt, you can only slightly unsubscribe. Love that. Love that. Um, OK, let's move on from the Mudrick talk. Um, so that's where we are. Arsenal have had that bid rejected. Fabrizio Romano has told us this morning that Arsenal continue to negotiate with Shakhtar Donetsk, which indicates at the very least that Arsenal are willing to go a little bit further. Otherwise, they'd have walked away. Right. So we'll see how that unfolds. We'll see uh, how that materialises. Let's move on to Joao Felix, who is also uh, being linked with a move to Arsenal, uh, a player that we started talking about a couple of weeks ago. And ever since that, the the sort of not because of, uh, of us or because of me, but ever since we started discussing it, the rumours around the potential move for Joao Felix to the Premier League have really picked up and really gathered momentum. 
But according to Kike Marin in Spain, Mikel Arteta's got his doubts about the player. And as a consequence of that, this deal could be dead in the water. Now, Manchester United are also said to be interested in him. They, of course, need a forward player, having allowed Cristiano Ronaldo to leave. It looked as though they were all in for Cody Gakpo. It looked as though the Dutchman was on his way to Old Trafford to join up with Eric Ten Hag. But Liverpool have come in and hijacked that deal. I'm really surprised at that, actually. Like, I didn't see that coming. Um, I understand why Gakpo would join Liverpool. Um, you know, really exciting team. You know, they're going through a bit of a transition at the moment. It's not been the greatest season for them, but I think they'll get back on track and I think they'll be, you know, in the top three at minimum come the end of the season. So I think, you know, they will get back to winning ways. And I think, you know, they'll, there's a lot of reasons why as a player looking at the Premier League from the outside, you'd want to join Liverpool Football Club. But I thought he was all set to join Man United. I really, really did. So this surprised me and shocked me. But now that Gakpo has opted to go to Liverpool and now that that deal is, is agreed and it's been confirmed by PSV Eindhoven themselves, all of a sudden, um, all of a sudden, it looks like João Felix could be the man for Manchester United. You know, they were always interested, but will they push harder now? I think they probably will because of the need. The interesting thing is, though, as well, that if, you know, Eric Ten Hag is, is a disciplinarian. Eric Ten Hag is somebody who... Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Is very much like Mikel Arteta in that it's his way or the highway in that he expects certain standards, in that he expects a certain attitude, he expects a certain level of professionalism. And when you cross those lines and when you uh, show anything but that, he will not hesitate to kick you to the curb. He did it to Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the greatest players of all time, arguably Manchester United's greatest player of all time. He, he's not afraid to do that, Eric Ten Hag. And where I say he's similar to Mikel Arteta is in that he doesn't want people that come in and disrupt the collective. And there are some slight questions over Joao Felix in that because of the fact that he has obviously fallen out with Diego Simeone. And that's ultimately why Atletico Madrid are now looking to, to make him go, you know, to, to move him away and, and are willing even to allow him to go out on loan to facilitate that, which when you think about what they invested in him is absolutely batshit crazy. But they look at this situation and they don't think it's rectifiable. They don't think that Simeone and Felix can put uh, their problems behind them. And, and those problems are, uh, according to all accounts, with regards to the style of play, you know, it's it's time for him to move on. But that is a bit of a red flag, I think, for a lot of clubs. Now, when we talk about him potentially moving on, we talk about Atletico Madrid being willing to allow him to go on loan. And so whoever takes him on is is really signing up to a relatively low risk. OK, because you're talking about, I think, around about an eight million fee was what was being talked about. But then you got to take on his wages because part of this is Atletico's need to get him off the wage bill so that they can then go out and bring in the player that they want to replace him. It's all about balancing the books. It's all about FFP. It's all about that stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's a relatively low risk thing. But, you know, there is that thing, isn't there, in the back of your mind? Like, what if he falls out with this manager? What if he falls out with that manager? You know, he that is a bit of a red flag for managers that are looking to instill certain cultures at football clubs. And, you know, Mikel Arteta has done that now. And I trust him that, you know, he's, he's learned the lessons and he's, he's learned what types of characters he wants and, and the types that he doesn't want and the types that he wants to keep away. And Ten Hag is where Arteta probably was 18 months ago. So will he move in for him as well? Look, the reservations uh, around uh, Mikel Arteta and, I'm sorry, the reservations that Mikel Arteta is said to have over Joao Felix are not clear. OK, there's no clear reason given and there's no evidence to suggest that that's even the case. But it's an interesting story uh, that's been put out. And I think I can see what those reservations might be 
from reading between the lines. And I've just told you that, you know, when you're thinking about culture, when you're thinking about, uh, you know, trying to, um, you know, trying to sort of weed out that type of person, you, you don't necessarily want to go and take a gamble on someone that might be that as well. Uh, maybe that's unfair on, um, on Joao Felix. But the other thing is that the short-term nature of any potential deal for Joao Felix is not really what Arsenal are probably looking for. And, and the same can be said of Manchester United. You're trying to rebuild. Okay. You want certain things. You want to bet on people that you know are going to be there. You want to bet on people that you know are in it for the long haul. And you want to invest your money, but also your time on players that are going to take the club to the next level. Now, Joao Felix was signed for an awful lot of money, over 100 million euros by Atletico Madrid. He could come to Arsenal on loan, be really, really good. And then we could get gazumped by someone else. And then you'd have put your time and effort in and, you know, you'd have done all of that and you might not actually benefit for it in the long term. Some will say, well, that's what we did with Martin Odegaard, isn't it? We brought him in on loan knowing there was a possibility that he'd be really, really good and that people would be looking at him and that a bigger, richer, more powerful football club would come along and say, you know what, we'll have him. Or even Real Madrid would say, no, he's great. We'll keep him, thanks. And we'd be left stuck. But Arsenal knew. Arsenal were given an indication. Arsenal were well aware that Real Madrid were open to selling Martin Odegaard when they took him on loan. And that's the difference here. There isn't really any clarity about what Atletico Madrid's long-term plan is with Joao Felix. There isn't. Whereas with Martin Odegaard, I think those conversations already took place. I think Arsenal knew that if he was a hit and if he was a success, that they'd be able to go back and, and start negotiations with Real Madrid over a long-term deal because his time at Real Madrid was completely done and dusted. You know, it didn't work. They spent a lot of money uh, in developing him. They, they you know, identified him at a really, really young age. I said to you guys in that trans, I know I always bring this up, but I bring it up because it just goes to show that when I say what a club publicly demand isn't necessarily what they'll accept, you know, that that is a really valid point And it's something that people need to be mindful of and wary of. I said that Martin Odegaard was not going to cost the £70 million that Real Madrid was saying that they wanted. We ended up getting him for 30 35 which was an absolute bargain. Arsenal put in the groundwork. They brought him to the club. They had a good look at him up close. They really liked what they saw. And those negotiations, that intent to sign him on a permanent deal was made clear to Real Madrid very, very early on. And that made the negotiations a lot simpler uh, than, than they might be with Joao Felix. Because, you know, where will he end up? Nobody really knows. He's a young player, a bit like um, Martin Odegaard, signed for big money, was expected to really go on to another level, didn't really do that. Uh, at Atletico Madrid for a number of reasons. But yeah, I think Arsenal would want some sort of assurances that they could then potentially do the deal for the long term if they were going to commit to even a loan deal uh, for Joao Felix. But we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, apparently Mikel Arteta has reservations over the player. That's according to Kike Marine, who also says that Mikel Arteta has his eyes on another La Liga forward. And lots of Arsenal fans on social media are speculating that that could be Ferran Torres, who, of course, spent some time in the Premier League with Manchester City. Now, Ferran Torres, from a profile point of view and stylistically, I think fits really well because he can play anywhere across the front line. He can play from the left, from the right. He can play as the false nine if needs be as well. He's done that for Barcelona. He's done it for Spain. And when you look at Barcelona's current financial situation, you wonder if, you know, you could potentially uh, get a bit of a bargain there. You know, what constitutes a bargain for Ferran Torres? I think if you could nab him for 30, 35 million pounds, you'd be absolutely laughing. I think he's a good player. I do. I just don't think he's ever really found a home since leaving uh, from Valencia. He came to Manchester City. I think he was thought to be a winger, but then played some games through the middle as well. There was a lot of competition at Manchester City at the time. And so it didn't really work out. Went to Barcelona, was seen as a bit of a false nine. And then Aubameyang comes along and it all changes and... There's been, you know, so many changes at that football club that it's probably been difficult for him to settle down. The speculation and the rumours suggest that Ferran Torres is that La Liga forward that Mikel Arteta is said to be more keen on. But whether that's true or not uh, remains to be seen. But as I always say, I'm just relaying to you guys the rumours and the reports that are doing the rounds and, and what 
my opinions on them are Ferran Torres would be a good fit, but I also think Joao Felix would be a good fit. And I think Joao Felix has got more potential. But the downside of that is that you probably wouldn't be able to get him without going absolutely batshit crazy in terms of your spend, which Arsenal won't do. You won't be able to get him on board permanently. It would have to be a loan with a view to them making that permanent later down the line. And I don't know if Arsenal really want to do that on a player that maybe, as uh, as is suggested, Mikel Arteta has some doubts and some question marks over. Just quickly, uh, wanted to bring you guys up to speed uh, with some of the reports regarding the Arsene Wenger statue that many Arsenal fans have been calling for for a while. According to, I think it was the Telegraph, uh, Arsenal are planning to build that in 2023 outside Emirates Stadium. Well, it's only fair, seeing as he basically built the Emirates Stadium uh, himself. Uh, so good to see him back at the game, uh, back at the stadium the other day. As I said to you guys on the post-match show, uh, really, really enjoyed uh, sort of the reception that he got and all the rest of it because he didn't doesn't deserve to be vilified. He, he was such an innovator, you know, such an important part and key part in Arsenal's history. The global football club that you see today is largely down to Arsene Wenger. I know the globalisation of the Premier League has obviously taken the game to, to all different shores and stuff. And obviously Arsenal were a huge football club before Arsene Wenger even came along. But he really did take it to another level. And, and that incredible stadium that you see that finally has a bit of atmosphere as well. Uh, <laughs> uh, better late than never, I guess. You know, that is down to, to Arsene Wenger and he deserves the respect. And um, and as V-Dub says in the chat, it's, it was kind of heartbreaking that he felt like he wasn't welcome. He absolutely is. Mikel Arteta and Edu have gone that extra mile to make sure that he knows that and they've managed to get him back uh, at the club. And look, as I said to you yesterday, it's not that I want to see him given a role or that I want to see him take a, a more active position or anything like that, but just for him to know that he can... He can come whenever he wants and that he will be welcomed, I think, is really, really important. Really, really important. Uh, let's uh, let's take it on then. Let's take some new questions. Let's take some of your thoughts from the live chat. Raphael, uh, with a very kind message, says, Hi, Harry, just to let you know, I really like your premium podcast. I would recommend for fellow Gooners to subscribe to the content. Excellent stuff. Thank you so, so much, mate. And uh, for those of you wanting to know how, while well, you fill the chat box up with your questions, so start doing it, get them in questions thoughts whatever you want uh, whatever you want to hear discussed get involved um just for those of you uh, that are wondering how you become a chronicles of a guna member the link is in the description below head over to another slice.com forward slash chronicles of a guna uh, sign up on the top right hand side of the page create an account then you need to log in uh, with that account. And once you've done that, you can subscribe to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. If you enter the discount code free trial, all in small letters, one word, uh, you'll be able to get access uh, to that episode that's there now. And you'll be able to use that code up until the 3rd of January as many times as you want. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, you'll be able to check out the content, the premium stuff. See if you like it. If you do sign up, you'll be supporting me. You'll be supporting the podcast for further growth, the, the ability to get guests, um, you know, people to help in the background with the socials and all of that stuff. And uh, and we'll also be supporting the Great Ormond Street Children's Hospital Charity, uh, which is one that's very close to my heart. So, um, yeah, get involved. Uh, we'd love to uh, to hear from you guys. And as you can see there on the screen, uh, the post-match player ratings from Arsenal West Ham went out uh, about 11.30 p.m. that night after the game. So as soon as I got back, uh, we did that and we'll be doing that after every single match going forward. So please do get involved. Check it out. Uh, thank you so, so much. And we'll take some of your questions uh, now. Um, do, 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 do. Let's see what we've got here. Uh, Afshin says, hi, Harry, why not give a role? Uh, sorry, let me you, you rephrase the question. It's a little bit clearer later on. Harry, why shouldn't Wenger take an, any role at Arsenal? So I just think that so much happened at the end of Wenger's reign that, you know, a lot of people went off of him and a lot of people felt a real anger and disappointment at the direction in which the club was heading. And I understand that. I get that. Still don't think the disrespect that was shown to Arsenal was fair in any way, shape or form. But I think we've moved on now. You know, times have changed. You know, we've got a great structure in place now. We've got 
uh, an, a manager who is incredibly talented and I think is going to go to the very top of the game. We've got a, a sporting director in Edu, who I think is brilliant as well and works very closely with Mikel Arteta. We've got Vinay, who's a bit more of a businessman, a bit more of a, a, a money man, a bit more of a numbers guy, sort of holding that side down. Tim Lewis is involved as well. And from KSE, we finally got a bit of TLC. You know, we've got Josh Kroenke paying a lot more attention to Arsenal Football Club than perhaps his family have ever given to the football club. And it feels like we are we are moving in the right direction. Arsene Wenger can be an ambassador. Arsene Wenger can be an advisor to Mikel Arteta, as I'm sure he already is behind the scenes. Mick, uh, Arsene Wenger can be a figure around the place but doesn't need to be brought back in in an official capacity. That's my opinion. And I don't think Arsene Wenger would want that either. You know, I think he's happy with his role at FIFA. He said as much on numerous occasions. He stayed away for three years, for God's sake, because he didn't feel welcome at the club. Maybe didn't, maybe not didn't feel welcome, but felt as though, you know, he needed to give it some time to breathe. I don't think it's healthy for someone who has that type of disappointment feeling to then just be, thrust back into the picture. I think let him come, let him watch, let him be around the place, let him advise Mikel Arteta, let him be a shoulder to lean on for Edu as well, you know, because you've got to remember Arsene Wenger did all of these things. He wasn't just the manager at Arsenal Football Club. He basically was a sporting director as well. The only thing he wasn't able to do was sign the checks. And that ended up costing us over the last few years, I think. And when we did start to sign the checks, there wasn't the right people above him and the right people around him to take some of the load off of him and help us in identifying the right talent. We tried to go down a different route with Sven Mislintat. Ivan Gazidis wasn't a big help to the club either. And, and we are where we are as a combination of all of those things. And Wenger represents that. You know, I think in time, people will look back at him as the greatest manager this club has ever had. And when you look at his achievements, they're unbelievable and probably will be unrivaled uh, as far as, you know, we move forward. But at the same time, I just I just don't think um, I, ju I just don't think that I would be looking to give him a, um, you know, a new contract, uh, any sort of contract. I think where he is now, let him come, let him be embraced. And and that's it. You know, that's it for me. Um, Don Juan says, uh, in your opinion, Harry, with everyone fit, which position do Arsenal need to strengthen? I'd say the centre of midfield is still where I have the biggest concern. You know, if we lose Thomas Partey, I, I don't know what we do. Um, Granit Xhaka is becoming that important as well. So is Martin Odegaard. And I look at the alternatives beyond them and I still think we're lacking a little bit. So for me, the centre of midfield is is the priority area, even more so than a Mudrik, if I'm being honest. Because, look, Emil Smith-Rose around the corner. Reese Nelson is a few weeks away from fitness, we think. Um, you know, yeah, I'd like a winger too. But if I was ranking them in terms of priorities, I think I probably would lean towards the centre of midfield first above everything else. Uh, Malesi, just going back to the Mudrik stuff, says, spot on, Harry, we should walk out of this if they reject the next bid of 60 million. This saga could take all of our attention at the expense of three or four uh, other deals. It's a good point. It's a good point. Um, Panos says, saw this good question earlier and want to prompt you. Have you seen any of the renovations at Emirates Stadium? They're still working on the outside of the stadium, so there's not really anything to report on that. Um in terms of the new display, uh, I think I read some time ago that that was going to be completed in the new year. What I did notice inside the stadium, inside the concourse, I don't know if anybody noticed, that was some big screens uh, with adverts rolling across them, which is obviously some sort of revenue uh, income for the football club because they'll be selling that advertising space to advertisers. Um, but I didn't notice those before. Were they there before? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure they weren't. Uh, in the concourse area, uh, just before you go out into the arena itself, there is some big screens in there that are running adverts. Um, yeah, really interesting. Uh, Steve says, Harry, I feel the appearance of the Cronkies just before the transfer window is a positive thing. Any thoughts? Just them being present in general, Steve, is, is a massive improvement on where they were before. You know, I always said that their ownership style in the past was very passive. And I, I really did feel that. And now I feel like steps have been taken to ensure that we as fans do not have that opinion of them. Josh Kroenke spends a lot more time here um, and, and seems to be a lot more involved than his father ever was. And, you know, that seems to be a positive for me. It, it's a hard balance, right? Because 
you want them to be involved. You want them to be present. You want them to be, um, you know, there and thereabouts. And you want them to be able to see what is going on up close and, and to understand the dynamics behind the scenes and all of that. But at the same time, you don't want them to interfere with the work that they've hired better qualified people to do. And that's where you need to find that balance. And I think at the moment we have that nice balance um, upstairs. And, and that's why we're thriving at the moment. Uh, Zebik says, uh, do you think we will try to sign Tielemans this January? Interesting, because there have been rumours of that. There have been suggestions that Arsenal might look to do that. Um, will they make that move for him this window? I can't say it with any degree of certainty. I think now is is probably the last time to get him, you know, at a cut price deal. Um, well, no, let me rephrase that. It's the last time for Leicester City to get any money for him because, of course, in the summer, he'll be allowed to walk away for free. So if I were Leicester and I was actively looking to to achieve that, I might give Arsenal and, and maybe some other potential suitors a little bit of a nudge uh, through some intermediaries, through some representatives and say, look, 15, 20 million, we'd be happy to do this. Um, yeah, let's see. Uh, let, let, let's see. I can't say that I know that this is going to happen. I can't say that I know Arsenal are actively working on this, but um, it would make sense to me, you know, but then again, the club might look at it and say, well, what's the point in spending 20 million when we can nab him for free in the summer? So it, it's kind of hard to know where we stand on this one. I feel like we could have done this before if we just went that little bit further in terms of finances. The fact that we didn't suggests either that they're all in on, on signing him on a free transfer or that actually their interest is nowhere near as strong as is being reported. So we'll have to wait and see how that um, how that develops and and where Yuri Tielemans ends up. Uh, just a quick reminder before I take the last couple of questions of the show, there's over 500 of you with me live right now. Can we please get up to 250 likes? There's no reason why we shouldn't be able to achieve that. Uh, we've got 100 at the moment, which is slacking. That means only one in five of you have hit the like button. It's free. It doesn't cost a thing. Please leave a like. Please subscribe to the channel if you're new as well. We recently hit the milestone of 25,000 YouTube subscribers. The next one of 30,000 is one that we'd love to achieve, um, you know, ASAP. So please do like, please do subscribe. You know the drill by now. And if you're interested in going one further and supporting the podcast, you can do so by, of course, uh, checking out our premium content over on the Another Slice platform. The link is in the description. Sign up via the website, create your account, log in, sign up to the Chronicles of Aguna. Use the discount code free trial if you want to check out what it's all about. And then you can download the Another Slice app, log in, and you'll have all of that premium content, as well as all our general content as well at your fingertips. So do please check it out. Okay, let's take a couple of uh, a couple more of your questions. Uh, before we disappear um, off into the, I was going to say into the sunshine, but it is pissing down with rain here. It looks horrible. It looks really, really horrible. Uh, Don Juan says, question, Harry, the Emirates Stadium feels a little bit small with its 60K capacity. Is there any news on Emirates expansion? Not that I know of. Um, I don't. I think 60,000 is about right. I think that you you go beyond that, you run the risk of having lots of empty seats. Um, I think 60,000 is about right for Arsenal Football Club. And I think that, you know, it just goes to show, you know, in recent seasons, I had a lot of people say to me, you know, I'm coming over from wherever um, and, you know, I'm looking for some Arsenal tickets for a home game. Can you help me out? And it was it was relatively easy. You know, it was really easy to do that. Um, now it's it's nigh on impossible. I find it so difficult to find spare tickets. You know, season ticket holders all want to attend now. Nobody wants to give them up. You try and find something on the ticket exchange, they disappear really quickly. Uh, silver members who used to be able to get for most games if they logged on in good time when those um, when those tickets came available are really struggling to do so at the moment as well. And yeah, it's tough. It is really tough. And a lot of people have messaged me over the last few weeks saying, is there any chance that you, know, you can help me or advise me as to where to get tickets? And the truth is, mate, I, I just can't. I, I I'd love to. If I had lots of spare tickets, I'd give them to to dedicated gooners that wanted to come and were coming from near and far to to you know to to really experience it. But it's just so difficult at the moment. And I think the club are content with that. I think the club will be happy with that. The the biggest indicator of how well you're doing as a football club is 
it is how people vote with their feet and people are turning up people are you know the the stadium was packed on boxing day despite all the train issues and maybe in previous seasons it wouldn't have been uh so yeah you know it's really um it's really really tough to get hold of tickets right now which makes the argument that maybe we should go um you know for a, a bigger capacity but i don't think there's really a need for that at this moment i think 60,000 is pretty much the sweet spot um in terms of making sure that the stadium is full enough but also making sure that enough people can get access to tickets as well so yeah let's see okay um what else have we got what else have we got going to take uh, one or two more questions let's just quickly check in on those likes again we got up to 141 but we're still nowhere near where we want to be so like 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 please um paul james says why are touts able to get so many tickets there are a lot of faults in the ticketing system uh, a lot of stuff that is being currently looked at by the club i know that for a fact um you know there's there's a lot of people that are part of you know various groups and have been able to get their hands on tickets and unfortunately not all of them do the right thing with those tickets some of them look to sell them at a profit um some people have season tickets and and hand them over to other people who then sell them for a profit it's it's you know it's not perfect the ticketing system the club are well aware of that they know that and they're working uh, to fix that and improve that um, and hopefully in the not too distant future that will be much much better but yeah um you know there are there are ways of of doing things and you know or ways of getting around things i should say and tickets out to some of the very best in the world at doing that as we all know and as we've all seen um you know, I'd be lying if I said that I never bought a ticket from a ticket out. I did in the past um, when I was desperate to go to games that I couldn't get tickets for. Um, and, you know, that's wrong uh, and it shouldn't happen, but it does happen, unfortunately. And um, yeah, you know, if, if a better system is in place, perhaps we can limit that a little bit more. But that is down to the club to sort of work that out. And I think they need feedback. I think they need to understand exactly how this is happening uh, in order to be able to tackle the problem and take steps and measures to um, to prevent that uh, from happening uh, going forward. Uh, Nav R says, um, the discount code, is it uh, one word? Yeah, it should be one word off the top of my head. Is he, yeah, I think it's free trial, one word, all in small letters. Uh, if not, try it with the space if that doesn't work, but I'm pretty sure it's all uh, one word. Thank you so, so much, mate. Right, I am going to leave it there. Um, thank you all so, so much for tuning in. Over 500 of you with us. Incredible stuff. Uh, really, really appreciate uh, you guys coming along. I know the times have been a little bit all over the place. I always say this, but you know what? In order to ensure that we get a podcast out every day, it's just the way it goes. Sometimes the times are going to be different uh, just because I have to base it around the other bits of work that I've got going on and and my small kids and all of that stuff. I do apologize if that is a problem for some people and, a, and an inconvenience. I know it can be a pain in the ass. But in order to maintain that consistency, that's what we sometimes have to do. So thank you for bearing with me as always. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for leaving a like on the video. And if you're listening on the audio platforms, well, please go ahead and leave us a review. I'll be back very, very soon with some more Arsenal content. Until then, take care of yourselves. Uh, enjoy what remains of 2022. Catch you all soon. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.